This is Ivan Stegic, host of the 107 podcast. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. Otherwise, you'll know this is not how we usually open an episode. We're doing a survey of our listeners, that's you, and we'd love for you to participate. Would you consider helping us? You can take the survey online at 107.com slash survey. And if you're listening on the episode page itself, just click on the gray bar at the top of the page. Thank you. And now on to the episode. Hey everyone, you're listening to the 107 podcast where we get together every fortnight and sometimes more often to talk about technology, business and the humans in it. I'm your host Ivan Stegic. My guest today is Kevin Thull a freelance front-end developer and president of the Midwest Open Source Alliance. You may know him as the guy whose session recording kits are omnipresent at Drupal events across the globe. He's also the 2018 recipient of the Aaron Winborn Award, an award that is presented annually to an individual who demonstrates personal integrity, kindness, and above and beyond commitment to the Drupal community. Hey, Kevin, welcome to the podcast. It's a great pleasure to have you on. Thank you. It's uh, great to be here. I have so many questions. I feel like there's so much to explore. So maybe you'll consider coming back if we don't get to it all? Definitely. Awesome. I thought we'd start with some background. So right now you live in Chicago and you went to the University of Illinois at Chicago. Are you a lifelong Chicagoan? I am. Born and raised. Born and raised. So where did life in school start for you? I'm on the northwest side of Chicago. Um, so I went to schools in that area. Um, as far as UIC, I went, went there for bioengineering. My, my dream was to create artificial limbs. And then I learned I'd pretty much be in school for the rest of my life. I said, nope. <laughs> <laughs> wow, bioengineering. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. What, what was the driver, the motivation for artificial limbs? Uh, it just seemed uh, an interesting and really useful career. Um, you know, because at the time, artificial limbs, you know, I graduated college in, what, 89, 90 um, so there wasn't a whole lot of advancement at that point. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it just seemed like a really interesting, rewarding career to go into. Yeah. I've seen those artificial limbs that are 3d printed these days. There's like, yeah, it's incredible. It really is. Do they use raspberry pies? I think in some cases, or I don't know what it is, but it looks like there's a, a really inexpensive way to get things done these days. Yeah. There, there's an event that my, my old job, uh, sponsorship conference and we had this one of the speakers was one of the inventors of that 3d printing or at least one of the innovators of it and it's just an incredible story it really is it's kind of what technology and um, the internet the original idea behind it was trying to accomplish right something that can bring the masses something that's cheap and life-changing as a technology whether it's hardware or software it doesn't matter right yeah so I have to ask you, since you're in Chicago, White Sox or Cubs? Well, I grew up on the Northwest Side, so Cubs fan. Cubs fan, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, recent world. So I don't, I don't really follow sports in, at this point anymore. But no, well, recent world no. champions. After you've achieved that, it's probably okay to stop to stop following it, right? 
Yeah. And I actually lived near Wrigley Field when that happened. So. What a beautiful <laughs> ballpark. Yeah. Yeah, it's wonderful. Hope they don't change it. Yeah. I, I'm just so excited about baseball these days, given that the Twins are you know, number one in the league, have the best average, and like we've really needed that. I feel like it's a, a good omen that that's what kind of happened to the Cubs and went to the World Series, and now maybe maybe the Twins can do it. Yeah, that'd be amazing. It definitely would be amazing. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about Drupal. You've been in the Drupal ecosystem for more than 10 years um, with many different areas of interest and expertise from being a site builder to a developer to being involved in the community. Do you do you remember your first experience with Drupal? Yeah, vividly. Uh, <laughs> Uh-oh. I had, uh, <laughs> no, uh, Drupal 6 was just uh, shiny and new. And I was using a product to essentially build static site. So I was using an early static site generator, just this Perl script that let me create both a car parts website and uh, like a, co- a couple of different product websites. We'll, we'll, we'll put it at that. And my first, the since it was UI-based, the, the site kept timing out during the rebuilds for the, the owners of their sites and telling them, oh, you can log in through SSH and run it there was not an option. So I started evaluating other systems, and it was really down between Joomla and Drupal. Ooh, Joomla. Um, right. So, but, I mean, feature set. Yeah. looked similar. They looked equally capable on paper. So I looked through support forums because, you know, I'm, I'm not a coder by, by trade, I guess you could say. You know, I, I can code my way out of a paper bag. Is, is, is how I'll define my programming skills. I'm more on the, I'm good with CSS and SAS, but in terms of the rest, even though I went to engineering school, uh, you'd think I'd be better at it. Um, but I, so I comp- looked at the community forums for both. And Joomla's answers were, sure, we'll help you for a bounty. And Drupal's answers were, sure, we'll help you. How can we, can I move in with you to help you build this thing? <laughs> right. You know, sort of the feel is like, so at that point I went Drupal. Yeah, it was the community that got you hooked, it sounds like. Absolutely, absolutely. And then I struggled because I was trying to come up with this. A, there was no, there were no migration scripts at that point. So I had to find like some custom PHP to, to brute force it into the database, which worked. Um, data tables were a whole lot easier in Drupal 6. Of course. Yeah. Uh, then I didn't quite understand the whole contrib cycle, you know, because I was like, oh, Drupal 5 versus Drupal 6. Well, Drupal 6 is new. I'll use that. And then realized I was sort of, you know, stuck waiting for contrib to follow up. Um, but I ended up doing an Ubercart site, struggled with like a make model year selector. Um, and my first community event, because I had I'd learned a lot through videos. Uh, they were, you know, just you found videos on archive.org from past events and that got me a long way. But then I was stuck and I was very, very introverted, very shy at the time. I still, uh, still am a little bit, but so I committed to going to an in-person meetup it was, uh, I was living in the suburbs at the time and there was a meetup posted and it's like, well, ask your questions and we'll have Jeff Eaton there. Cause he wrote the book on building Drupal or he's one of the writers. So it's like, Oh man, because I'd been listening to Lullabot podcasts, like, you know, I was, I was like having celebrity anxiety. And uh, so he showed up and I asked my question, like, how can you do this? And he's like, oh, I'm so sorry. Because basically it's like, you, there is no solution for that right now. Oh, man. So at least, at least I felt good that it wasn't me. 
And like, if, if he can't figure it out, then, you know. Is that, is that code still around that you wrote? Uh, no, they, they, uh, the site owner ended up migrating out to, I think, big commerce at some point Mm -hmm. because he had several different sites, but we had it going for a while, um, doing lots of imports of CSV files. So it was a pretty intense project. So that interaction with Jeff Eaton, was that your first, um, in-person involvement in some sort of a community event? Yeah, it was it was the very first uh, Drupal camp or the Drupal Fox Valley meetup. Drupal uh, Fox Valley meetup is is that still yeah, around? So they they are. Um, yeah, it was a great. I'm I'm sad I don't live in the suburbs. Uh, that's one of the reasons I'm sad I don't live in the suburbs because uh, it's a pretty far west suburb. Um, but it was a great great group. Uh, met a lot of wonderful people there, and that's really I think one of the. I count that as one of the reasons that I've, I am where I am today, uh, being part of that group and that community. And so that was your first exposure to the community. Is it also the first time you started participating in organizing events as well? More or less. Um, I did some light volunteering at the Chicago Drupal camp when it was around. Um, but we ended up as a suburban group, you know, it's a decent commute. There's a, there's a good community in the suburbs. So we decided to have our own Drupal camp Fox Valley. Um, that was like October, 2013. Um, and that's also when I decided, well, I'm going to record the sessions because it was sort of at at the time where I worked, we hosted a marketing conference where I basically was involved in recording sessions. And so I'm like, well, A, I learned when I started Drupal from session recordings, B, I do this for work. So it was a no brainer in my mind to do that for events that I'm organizing. So 2013, there's the first set of sessions that you decide to record and it's at a meetup or it's at the Fox Valley camp. No. Yeah. We, we had our Fox Valley Drupal camp or Drupal camp Fox Valley. Yeah. Okay. So did you go into that camp thinking, okay, I'm going to record every single session or did you say, let's iterate, let's choose one room and see how it goes. No, I figured I do this for, I do this for work. So we're going to get them all. And the, the method was, uh, have a camcorder in the back of the room just to kind of see when slides change, get the slide presentation from the presenter, make stills of the whole of each slide, and then kind of rebuild what would, what would be a screen share. Um, cause that was the process that I did at work, but it was for marketing conference. I see. So there were maybe 30 slides or so. So yeah, at the work event we had, it was a union hotel, so we brought in AV to, to do the keynote as a live video production, but in the breakout rooms, you know, to cut costs, we just got an audio file from mm. them. So I would get their deck and any videos that they were playing and kind of rebuild it based on the audio and just what, what I call the reference record to see where those slides changed. So you actually did the, you, you actually had to rebuild every session. There wasn't any live capture. Correct. All right. No. So that's kind of version and, one. Yeah, that was terrible. Was it? <laughs> well, I, there was one talk. It was like, you know, like a 45-minute talk and over 100 slides. So it's like, took like three hours to rebuild that. Boy, that was really time-intensive. Yeah, and, you know, demos were lost. You know, it was just a completely oh. different medium. Um, and it was it's funny because, you know, friends of mine at the time were like, why are you investing so much time in this in the post-production? You know, nobody's going to watch these. I'm like... It's important. Yeah, and it's it and really is important. Yeah, 
thank you for yeah. thank you for investing the time. It's such an asset to the community <laughs> now. I can't even imagine what it would be without without it. I mean, yeah, yeah. I, ne- I never for once imagined it would be what it is today. <laughs> I I would love to know about what the next iteration was after that. Like after yeah. like you decide I can't handle doing four hours and one hundred slides for a forty five minute talk. Like what's the next right. iteration? So uh, shortly after that event uh, was the first mid camp um, that was March of twenty fourteen, and we were fortunate enough to get the Drupal Association recording kits. So the same laptops and splitters that they use at DrupalCon. Um, because apparently if, if your event falls in the window of when they're not needed to be shipped or in shipping or in route, um, you can just pay the FedEx cost to borrow the equipment. Wow. Um, yeah. So you get this giant Pelican case, you could fit a body because it's (laughs) stuffed with laptops and equipment. And, uh, that was also a pretty horrible experience because it was just a lot of setup. They didn't work terribly well. Um, like there were, like they would every once in a while in the recording there'd be like dropped frames, so you'd just see a, a like a one second blue frame. So of course I edited those out. Um, it was pretty low res, and it was just you know at the end of the event we were exhausted because our first one is like oh now we have to like drag this giant case and find a FedEx to send it home. So were the laptops themselves doing the recording and you had to have your presentation on the laptop? No, there was a splitter. So um, the presentation computer fed into a splitter that split to the projector and to the recording MacBook. So the MacBook was basically running a, a capture software. And to this day, that's the same type of equipment they use at DrupalCon. So if you go into a session at DrupalCon, you'll see off to the side a table with a laptop on it that has... A note saying recording do not touch yeah and it's just always on i've always wondered about that so okay so that's version two is like okay yeah so that's 2014 so what happens after that after you've like you've reduced the amount of time you spend on post-production but you're still not happy like you still want something better i think that was drupalcon austin was that year so march is when we did the laptops went to drupalcon austin we actually met with the people who produced the videos and I was kind of brainstorming with uh, a fellow organizer, like we've got, there's got to be some sort of solution that's lightweight, inexpensive, device agnostic, mm-hmm. and no drivers. Yeah. And so we just started. We kind of came up with this base requirements list and just started looking. And it was really difficult to find stuff because it turns out it's a very lucrative industry. Mm. You know, recording events. They don't want to give away their their methods in there and and some of that even the prosumer level equipment is really expensive so i found this device that the intended market is uh to to record your console gameplay so it's hdmi in and out records to a thumb drive oh and lets you it's got a, a audio mixer so that it can pick up the gameplay audio from your console and then also your commentary through a headset. So I'm like, well, on paper, and, and it has a standalone mode because a lot of those uh, console gameplay systems require you to either hook to a console where there's some sort of interface or attach to a PC mm-hmm. so you can run it through software. Right. But it's the only one that had a standalone mode. So I'm like, well, let me try it. So I bought one and it worked. And so 
the second Drupal Camp Fox Valley, which was then later in 2014, was where that that kit first debuted. Wow. And um, what was the cost of the kit at the time? Do you remember? Uh, all total. Well, at, so at that time, I was just – they came with a, uh, a lav mic. Okay. Um, so just the unit itself was honestly like 180 um, plus dongles, so maybe like 200 low $200 per kit, um, which is still really – that's really that's cheap. really reasonable. Yeah, I was going to say. Plus, you have to supply the yeah. thumb drive, right? Yeah, yeah. So when when I think of cost per kit, that's equipment plus dongles plus you know recording media. Um, but we had issues where if you had multiple presenters, now you're kind of handing around this lav mic, which is not a great way to deal with it. No. And every once in a while, there was no audio in the record. Oh, and so with. Yeah, without so, so you've got the screen recording, no no problems, but it's silent. Yeah. So those are those were lost. Right. That's when I decided to add in the Zoom voice recorder, which serves as the mic, but also records to an SD card. So that's the omnidirectional mic that's hooked up yeah. and right next to the the console. Yeah. Okay, so that's that's the next version after um, the Fox Valley Camp. Yeah. That was all exciting. It was promising because I got most of the recordings for Fox Valley. Um, and I was going to Bad Camp that year. So that was September 2014. Bad Camp was San Francisco. It would have been like late October, October yeah, yeah. So I brought like I, I just wanted to show off the kits. And they're like, well, can you actually record some sessions? I'm like, okay, sure. You know, I've got probably had two or three at the time. Um, so I brought them with me. They're, they're compact. Um, and I recorded sessions and failed miserably. Really? I think I caught like maybe two out of the 20 or 30 that I tried to get. What was the main issue? Uh, the assumption that, so at this time, the power, they were bus powered. So it would plug into the presenter's laptop. Oh, so the assumption that there's enough juice coming out of the laptop that'll actually give you consistent power to power it. Well, there's juice but if that power gets interrupted before the file is written, then you get a zero K oh, file. Oh, no. Right. And generally with, with equipment, it loses the connection. It writes the file and powers down. Not so with this one. And so then, A, that was wonderful because, like, you know, here I am, like, well, it was wonderful and terrifying. It's like, okay, good. Failing is important. Absolutely. Because right? if it's working – you don't know how to break it, and therefore you don't know how to fix exactly. it. Um, so that was late 2014. March 2015, mid-camp number two is coming up, and I was a little scared. Because, <laughs> like, well, it worked, and then it failed, and here we go again. And mid-camp was a success. So it's like, okay, great. What this tells me is I need to take these things on the road and just get more variables yeah. into the equation. So... Like shortly after mid camp, I sat down to tweets and basically like if you'll, hey camps, if you'll cover my airfare and hotel, I'll record your camp. And St. Louis and Twin Cities took me up on it. Right. Yeah, away. we did. That was like a no brainer for Twin Cities Ripple Camp. We were like, oh, Kevin's gonna yeah. record it. Yeah, let's. I think I remember voting yes on that like request. I'm like, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> bring him. We'll do it. Yeah, and so that was also terrifying because, like, oh, now this is someone else's money. <laughs> um, but by and large, it worked really well. St. Louis, I had 100% capture. Um, 
so like, oh, great, you know, this is good. But over time, just various, various variables helped me to kind of iterate on the, the kit or whether that's documentation, because bad camp, there was one year, it's, there's no time between sessions and you've got six rooms over four buildings Ouch! and you're the only one doing it. It's like, okay, I guess I'm going to make instructions and put them at the podium because I'm not going to be there. And it worked mostly. Is is that when did the red button, the giant red button, when did that make its debut? That was the the red button was part of that what I call the beta kit, the the twenty fourteen Fox Valley version. So it was the camcorder, there was the the Drupal laptops, the DA laptops, and then the big red button. So that was early on the process, and it's just been a, a matter of smoothing out the whole the whole the whole bits so you're so you took it on the road you got different variables for the kit um did the kit stay very similar to after your beta process or did you change anything major after you were done with twin cities and st louis the the bulk of the changes were um adding in redundancies and taking out other variables like so i added in the the digital voice recorder but then so i was fancy and i got a remote for it so you'd You'd hit the red button on the video, you'd hit the button on the audio record, and then when you're done, you'd stop both. And then so many times people forget to do the audio record, and then then I realized, well, why don't I just leave this thing record all day long and take that out of the equation? One less thing for presenters to think oh. about. And that worked. Um, there have been times, it's sort of been bane of my existence for a bit because invariably someone would bump the power, or they would, like they turn off the power strip that everything's attached to. Well, the, the, the video recorder powers on automatically. The audio recorder has to be turned on once it's got power. And so I would lose it that way. So now there's batteries in there. So there's a failover. I now discovered there's a hold switch, so you can't accidentally stop the recording, which has happened before. So audio has become pretty solid in terms of capturing it. Then just accidents like, oh, I forgot. I used to, I had a, like a four-port USB power because one of the AV guys, when Bad Camp failed miserably, he's like, maybe there's not enough USB power for some of this stuff from the laptops. So we get a separate, like a powered hub. Powered hub, yeah. So I, so I did, but I plugged him in. I thought I had to plug it into the laptop. And uh, so if the laptop went to sleep, it turned off oh, power to the recorder. yeah. And one session, I accidentally forgot to plug it in. Like, and I know, I, th- I think the person, I know who the person is who, you know, forced what I call happy accidents. You know, her laptop went to sleep and her recording continued. And I'm like, oh, it's because it's not plugged in. Because it didn't have to be plugged right. in. It's not plugged into the laptop. So it didn't perceive that as a, as a signal loss. Yes. Yeah, so just lots of documentation and happy accidents throughout the years. And are you now at a final version of the rig or do you have additional changes you want to make for the future? Yeah, the issues are currently, um, for whatever reason, if, uh, if it's not Mac OS, um, even though there's a, a voice mixer, audio mixer in the unit, there's still no audio on the screen record. Mm. So I don't know if somehow rather than, dubbing the non-audio from the presentation plus the spoken audio from the presenter rather than mixing them it's completely wiped out 
So that was, you know, I had some time before someone session who historically had no audio. So I'm like, let's look at your audio system and pick whatever is not chosen. Mm -hmm. And so it was set on, you know, I figured, I I assumed that it was like choosing HDMI and we would have to set it to like headset, but it was set to headset. I'm like, well, let's choose HDMI. And then it worked. So it's like, oh, well, that's cool. But it's still not 100%. Like, either you, you choose it, there'll still be no audio, or it'll be bad audio that has to be replaced. But it's still, it's improved. I'm just amazed at the speed at which you get these sessions turned around and available online. What, what's, what's the secret to doing that? The unit records to an MP4 file on the thumb drive that's attached to it. So assuming you've got good audio, you already have a, press, a compressed file to upload to YouTube. So as long as I go in, like any large break, I'll swap out media, see what I've got, fix anything that needs fixing, and upload it, assuming the venue has decent internet. So really, you're not doing any post-production. That, that, that rig does it all for you. Ideally, right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. when it works, it works really well. Um, and I've when it... There are some small fixes. Those I've gotten, you know, I've got enough experience where I've gotten quick at it. Um, I think my most challenging was last year in, at Triple Camp Montreal. It was a completely French-spoken session that had no audio. So trying to time oh, that was tough. Oh yeah, <laughs> I, don't speak, I don't speak French, <laughs> but eventually I figured it out. And um, what do you think the Achilles' heel is of the whole system? people. Um, and that's my next focus is like when I'm doing it, I get close to hundred percent capture pretty consistently when others are doing it. It's generally 80% hmm. or less, um, which I've learned is still okay Yeah, because it means there's other people doing it. Um, I'm not the blocker, but also it's just a, a matter of presence and making sure that everything's being checked and rechecked that a you're connecting the presenter laptops and b when sessions start you're verifying that the recording is recording um you still may lose the one or two that way but um it's really just a matter of finding the people who care enough to make sure that it's as successful as possible for any event that they're managing the equipment how many sessions do you think you've recorded since you started in fox valley uh, I do keep track. Oh, you do? So, oh, good. So this is not yeah. a guess. Okay, how many? What are we no. up to? Uh, 1,646 total. Wow. Although, although I, there's more than that because I don't have numbers from Chattanooga. Um, and that includes sessions that I've captured plus sessions that I call, I call them proxy captures. So I now um, will send equipment to camps through FedEx. That's... And, and with instructions, documentation, I'll do... Like if needed, I'll do like a, a video call with them to kind of go over how the kit works, some of the common troubleshooting stuff. And are the kits still around $250 or has that changed? Well, all total. So by adding in the voice recorder, that that all total is about 450 per setup, which is still relatively affordable. Oh. I can get eight of I can get eight of them into uh Pelican size uh carry on size. So that's so that's they're, great. They're portable. Yeah. They're lightweight. Oh yeah. yeah. Wow. That's um so you're 
I mean, the quality on the recordings are nothing to be ashamed of. I mean, they're all HD. The audio is great. I don't know how yeah. you get such great audio. You even get the uh, questions from the auditorium as well. Yeah, it, I mean, that's I, I, that's the audio recorder because I just have it set to multi-channel. I think the auto gain and meeting is the setup, like the, the preset. <laughs> so it does a good job of it. I'm I'm just so um, proud and amazed, and you should um, be commended at every chance you can get because this is such an amazing service and such high quality. It's just amazing to see. Uh, and there's, am I right in saying that you started something called the Drupal Recording Initiative? Yes. Uh, Tell me about that. The, what is that? Yeah, there's a funny story. So, uh, Drupal Corn Camp in Iowa last year. And I was very happy to be able to record it because that was one of the first first non-Chicago camps I went to, like 2014-ish, 2015-ish. Um, but they always had a way to record their sessions. So I was never I was never going to record theirs, even though I wanted to. This last year, they reached out and they, I guess they didn't have their typical contact and they wanted me to record it. So I'm like, yes, absolutely. And then Matt Westgate of Lullabot just... He gave a keynote and just it was either right before or after that. He just nonchalantly, nonchalantly asked me, like, so how's the recording initiative going? And I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, oh, wow, you just named this thing. Because, <laughs> for, you know, forever, it's just like, oh, I'm just recording stuff. Right. You know, so it, it immediately, you know, got an upgrade. Yeah. And so I had to kind of figure out what that was. Um, so I tried to do like a year-end blog post to kind of say, like, how it's gone for the year, just kind of do a little reporting. And um, the DA reached out to me after that because this past year I realized that, A, because this is bigger than just me, I need to start mentoring people. Um, and so they offered to let me do a guest blog post on the DA's blog so that it would you know, amplify that. So I'm like, well, great, what am I going to write? So I wrote down, I came up with the initiative. Uh, basically, you know, Broke it down into various buckets like training and mentorship, expanded coverage, improved documentation, funding, organization, content discoverability. And that was just like basically December of last year. And so now it's just a matter of sort of like a three to five year roadmap. So this is quite recent. So this is the end of last year. Yeah. You're through about six months of it. Um, how's it going? Uh, surprisingly well. Um, I think it just goes to show when you create a plan, you'll start to start working on the plan. Producing results. Yeah. yeah. And, and stuff will just, you know, if you, if you don't have a plan, you're not going to achieve results. If you have a plan now, you have a roadmap and you have things to shoot for. And how do we find out more about the Drupal recording initiative? Um, so I have it like one of the, one of the items was, you know, open accounting. Um, and in order to do that, I then, put it on uh, open collective. And so I've, I, I could either, either whether it's links through, uh, you know, show notes or something, but if you search Drupal recording initiative, you'll pretty much find it on open collective and I've got the entire initiative spelled out there. Um, Excellent. We'll, re we'll link to it in the transcript yeah. and the show notes um, of this podcast episode. So keep a track there, but it's on opencollective.com. Um, and as you said, if you do a search for Drupal Recording Initiative, it should be 
one of the first results and i think it was for me so um Excellent. yeah <laughs> so so it's, so it's working it's working <laughs> yeah this is actually a really good uh segue into a question i had about the midwest open source alliance because it does say oh yeah it does say on the recording initiatives webpage that it's hosted by the midwest open source alliance what yes. what is mosa i'm sure that's what you call it right it is what we okay call it. what uh, is mosa yeah um, MOSA was born out of the fact that um, the Drupal Association used to provide fiscal sponsorship for events, primarily in the U.S. Um, they uh, ended that program and then that left – well, they ended that program with the recommendation transfer over to Open Collective because they can, they can be your fiscal sponsor. And what – didn't work for me is you know, so the DA took 10%, which went to the Drupal project. Great. Uh, going to open collective was going to take 10% and fund open source in general. Also, also good, good, but, but they were going to take a 10% uh, on that initial deposit in addition. So we had already spent like as a, as an event, we'd already paid our 10% to the DA so we're going to lose another 10% just to transfer. Oh, wow. I wasn't okay with that, especially because like, we didn't know anything about Open Collective. No. So that felt like a big jump to me. Um, and there are still issues like insurance is an issue, um, getting tax, sales tax exemption in Chicago is an issue. The, the, some of the issues that we had when the DA was running this sponsorship program were going to not be fixed by moving to Open Collective. So some of the mid-camp organizers got together, and we'd been talking about this for a while, and that was the impetus to form our own nonprofit. And so the Midwest Open Source Alliance is a federally recognized nonprofit, and yep. you behave the same way that um, the Drupal Association did. You are fiscal sponsors for camps. I know that uh, Twin Cities Drupal Camp yeah. uses you right now. Yeah, it was pri- primarily a solution for MidCamp, but we realized that, you know, if we could fix this for one, we could fix it for more. Um, we tried to keep the scope smaller geographically by Midwest, but also open the scope and just call it open source. Um, and are you the fiscal sponsor and the insurance and everything else that a camp needs, like the Open Collective and like um, the Drupal Association was to us? that's that's the intent um we're still working on the insurance part but we like for sure like for for any camp to be part of mosa they have to we have to designate uh an at-large board member Mm. um so in this case that was um dan moriarty so he then is a representative of mosa so he can sign insurance using mosa's name Ah. so it's not his name or his company it's it's an actual because that was I didn't even know that was a problem until I heard it about event organizers being sued because of something on their website. I'm like, oh, oh, oh no. that's <laughs> awful. Yeah. So, yeah, this is important. Yeah. Because um, I was just, I, I, even with the DA, like at one point they provided insurance and then they realized they couldn't because it really, the liability part of their structure. Yeah. And so then here I am buying event insurance under my own Ouch. Name. Which is terrifying. Yeah, that is terrifying. Yeah, but you you do what you you do what you can to get your camp. Right, right. And is the how is MOSA funded? Is it also through a percentage that the members pay? So we're we're taking five percent from event, 
and that's been enough because it's all volunteer run. Um, we take 0% from initiatives. Um, so donations to the recording initiative, right word, but I do pay 5% platform fee to open collective, but no additional cost to have because open collective itself is not a fiscal sponsor. Um, you have to, there are fiscal sponsors on open collective. Mosa is now one of those. And the fiscal sponsor decides what percent they'll take. Got it. And so for camps, we don't organize that through Open Collective. So that way we can still get 5% to help keep the lights on. But for uh, initiatives, we don't need to take anything. And you you talked about a plan for the Drupal recording initiative. What kind of a plan is there for MOSA? What are you guys hoping to achieve in the next few years? We've got a project board on GitHub mostly to sort of finish, you know, sort of we're building the bike as we're, we're riding it um, because, you know, it's like, oh, we have to create oh, yeah. a nonprofit <laughs> and run an event. And, oh, Twin Cities is actually going to be our next event. So now we have to figure that out. And, you know, so we're getting documentation and, and things of that nature, hashing out insurance because we, we want year-long event insurance or year-long insurance for uh, board members, but also how to cover all volunteers of an event uh, during the phase of the event. So in theory, events don't need event insurance. That's MOSA. MOSA's insurance would cover it in theory. There's a lot of time to talk to a lot of people to get a lot of quotes. Well, you guys are doing a wonderful job. So I wish you all of the best of luck for MOSA. I know that it felt like TC Drupal was... Um, looking for something like MOSA, and I'm just glad that we're in the Midwest and we're able to take advantage of um, the Open Source Alliance. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad I'm glad it worked out. I think the last thing I want to talk to you about is the Aaron Winborn Award. So last year in 2018, in recognition of this incredible service you've been providing to our community, mm-hmm. you received the Aaron Winborn Award. What what an honor to receive that. How how did that make you feel? Uh, it was incredibly humbling. Um, I'm definitely not here for anything but to to give back. So to to have to stand up and thank people, you know, I I, I, get, I understand that people really appreciate what I'm doing, but you know, I'm not here for that. I'm here to just make make videos available. So it's it's hard to go up there. It's like I'm a very much behind the cameras kind of guy, so it was it was it was wonderful. It was wonderful to see you accept that. Thanks. Yeah. Did it change your approach to how and what you're doing? Did it make it more intense, or or did it change anything about your approach? I don't think so. I think if anything, more people know me, <laughs> so I'm, I'm now Drupal famous, <laughs> right? <laughs> But uh, aside from that, I would say no. It's not changed uh, any anything. Any any no. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's uh, it's just wonderful to see. You're just such a great example of how you can contribute to the community without writing a single line of code, yeah. right? Like well, that's the whole point. Yeah. You're you're a front end developer. Oh yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, you're a developer. Right. You've written code. You've got patches in there, but like, you get an award for not writing code, and so that's that's just a testament. Um, so, what what do you think your advice would be to those that just joined the Drupal community, or or even to any open source community who maybe are not developers, or who are young developers, or have just started writing code? Maybe they're afraid to show what they've written. How would yeah? What would your advice be to them about wanting to contribute? If you're passionate about giving back to a community that you're getting benefit from, find don't don't let the fact that you're not you know maybe working on core or module development don't let that stop you. There are so many ways that are either technical light or non-technical at all to give back. Um, documentation you know would be a great example for Drupal because still a sticking point, plenty of opportunity to contribute there. But, you know, at events, you always need day of volunteers. Um, there's plenty of ways, uh, non-standard ways, I would say, to get involved. And, and also, especially to bring in any past experience you have. Like, I did video work. That's not at all Drupal-related. But look how, look how big of an impact it's made. Kevin, thank you so much for spending your time with me today on the podcast. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Well, thank you for having me. Kevin Thal is a freelance front-end developer and president of the Midwest Open Source Alliance. You can find him on Twitter at Kevin J. Thal and on Drupal.org at K. Thal. And we'll have those in the show notes and in the transcription on the website. You've been listening to the 10.7 podcast. Find us online at 107.com slash podcast. And if you have a second, do send us a message. We love hearing from you. Our email address is podcast at 107.com. And don't forget, we're also doing a survey of our listeners. So if you're able to tell us about what you are and who you are, please take our survey as well at 107.com slash survey. Until next time, this is Ivan Stegic. Thank you for listening.